to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast from the Culture Ministry, where we explore the themes of diversity, equity and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences, including how people have found their feet and developed their career in diversity and inclusion. We are so glad you're listening in. And if you need some help or support with your diversity and inclusion work, go to www.theculture-ministry.com for more information. This week's episode was recorded with a live online audience during World Breastfeeding Week 2022. Simone Casey is an international board-certified lactation consultant, IBCLC, and member of the Lactation Consultants of Australia and New Zealand, LCANZ, and College of Lactation Consultants Victoria, CLC Vic. She works in a private hospital breastfeeding clinic in the inner city and has her own private practice, visiting mums in their homes in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, Australia. Simone shares with us how organisations can be more inclusive for breastfeeding. Here's your host, Lisa Mulligan. Welcome everyone. Um, This week is World Breastfeeding Week, which is really um, an organisation that's promoting breastfeeding, particularly in the, I guess, the developing world where uh, some of the the bigger companies who sell um, breastfeeding alternatives uh, might have got in there and done some damage Um, and so you can go to the world breastfeeding website there's lots of great resources about the work they're trying to do to promote breastfeeding but in terms of us working in organizations and trying to make them more inclusive i thought it might be great to really focus on you know how can we do that in organizations and i've invited a guest from australia because in terms of the region the asia pacific region um I think Australia and perhaps New Zealand are the furthest along in having uh, legislation and help for organisations to be inclusive for women and for families. Before we get started, I'll just um, a quick uh, chat about who is the Culture Ministry. So my name is Lisa Mulligan. Um, You've all met me before. Uh, The Culture Ministry is my diversity and inclusion consulting business and I do a number of things. These are just a few things that I've got on the screen that I work on. Um, most recently, I've done a piece of research and survey in the Asia Pacific market on salaries for DNI leaders and also the state of the market in the region, which is really interesting. So at the end, I'll, I'll pop a link in if you'd like to download that report. But let me introduce you to Simone. So I've known Simone for a long time. I think I met her in 2001 when I first moved to Sydney. She is an international board certified lactation consultant and a member of the Lactation Consultants of Australia and New Zealand and the College of Lactation. She works in a private hospital breastfeeding clinic in the inner city of Melbourne and she has her own private practice visiting mums in their homes in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. She's passionate about helping mothers to breastfeed and can help with a whole range of issues that relate to breastfeeding She has breastfed three of her own children. She volunteers and is a community educator with the Australian Breastfeeding Association and blogs about breastfeeding on their national website. Hi, Simone. That was long. (laughs) Um, That was long. (laughs) I think also I might get you to talk a little bit about your own um, personal experience with breastfeeding to start with. Yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I, I breastfed all my children. They're now, you know, big, big people. So I've got a 
a daughter who's 20 now and a son who's 17, another son who's 12. But yeah, I mean, I always, I always knew I was going to breastfeed. I did breastfeed. I come from a breastfeeding family and, but yeah, I I guess until you actually do it, you you don't quite realize um, the work that goes into it or how difficult it can be or the challenges and all those sorts of things. Um, I did become a member of the Australian Breastfeeding Association quite early-ish on with my kids when they were pretty young. Um, And that's when I started to realise a lot of women had a lot of problems um, and challenges with breastfeeding. Um, And I started, you know, becoming a counsellor with them pretty early on. I think my middle son was two when I qualified. uh, And I've pretty much done a a helpline shift every month since he was two years old and he's now 17. Um, I actually have come across a lot of women just even through the helpline. um, And the helpline in Australia is a very, very high volume helpline. Um, I have heard a statistic. I, I still couldn't find that one, Lisa, that <laughs> like the second most um, commonly called helpline to lifeline, like it is really commonly called helpline. But I do, there was stats on how many tens of thousands of calls they get per month, but it's a lot. Um, and when I am on that helpline, honestly, you just, you, you hang up a call, you get the next call, you hang up a call, you get the next call. It's just constant and it's Australia wide. Um, although anyone in anyone in the world except the US can call that number. So you actually can access it from anywhere in the Asian region as well. But yeah, I breastfed on my own children pretty much. I think I added up nine years total breastfeeding over three kids. And um, I did go back to work after um, all three of them. Uh, I didn't used to be a lactation consultant. I actually was a journalist working in the magazine industry. Um, so when I went back to work, it was a in an office situation and, yeah, had a various different ways that I went back to work and was able to continue breastfeeding through that. Um, the first one, my, my daughter was, over, was about 10 and a half months and went into family daycare um, and she... I pretty much just breastfed her in the morning and the evenings. But my middle one was six months old when I returned to work and he, um, my, my mum used to come to the house and my mother-in-law and they used to look after him and just bring him into my office for breastfeeds. Uh, and my third one I think was over a year as well and I just did the morning and evening thing with him too. But, yeah, I come across lots of different ways that people end up breastfeeding um, their children while while combining that with work, paid work. I might get you to talk a little bit more about that because um, uh, I think we've had another Kips join the call as well. Everyone's in Singapore. The parental leave provisions in Singapore um, are not incredibly generous. It's about four months. So many women return to the workplace and will still be breastfeeding or and needing to be expressing milk. So what are, what are some of the things that you've seen you know, I know in your, when you were, as a journalist, you said there were lots of different options that women use to to be able to keep their breastfeeding up. Can you talk yeah. a bit about that? Look, I think when babies are around that four-month mark, most of the breastfeeding, you know, children are exclusively breastfeeding, so they're not really on any solid food or anything yet. Um, and so, you know, if you skip a breastfeed or two, you're probably, as, as the woman, going to become quite full. So you probably do need to express your milk or find a way to be able to feed your baby at work. Um, so there's a few different combinations of what people that I used to know did. Um, we often had a few little um, containers of breast milk, you know, do not drink sort of things in the, in the communal fridge that uh, there was quite a few women who did express their milk at work. 
Uh, we did have one. Um, we had an editor actually who worked full time and her baby wouldn't take a bottle. And I do remember her husband bringing the baby in at around 11 o'clock every morning um, and she'd just breastfeed in her office. So, yeah, there's lots of different combinations, I guess, of what how women can do that. Uh, and I guess a lot of the time it's about being communicative with your employer um, that you do need to be able to either express or feed your baby when you're, you know, during your working hours when you're first going back. And, you know, if they don't know much about it, it's a pretty temporary thing. You know, once they're the babies, you know, are a little bit older, um, they can often just have solids and, and, you know, water in a cup and things like that and they don't always need the breast milk, but the first couple of months, if they're still on exclusive breastfeeding, they, you know, the mum will often need to pump and do things like, you know, bring their pump and have a place to, to pump at work, uh, whether that's an office or just some sort of quiet space uh, yeah. to be able to maybe plug in an electric pump and maybe a, little, a fridge to be able to store your milk before you go home. Yeah. When I first returned to work with my first baby and I returned at four months, because I was a little crazy um, when, you know, I rocked up on the first day I needed to express, I bought my pump um, and everything with me, but couldn't, couldn't find anywhere to do it. Like all the offices and I had an office were glass and they just had a, a panel through the middle that was sort of a bit frosted, but people could kind of look above it or they could like put their heads underneath it. And so there was no first aid room. I ended up sitting in a storeroom expressing and it would take me an hour and so that would be my lunch break so what do you recommend organizations have in place and and maybe it's policies through to what are the physical things that really yeah need to that's get right I actually did find a really good statistic about um about having a breastfeeding policy at your workplace and it's something to speak yeah. to your HR department about if you don't have one already and, and maybe getting them to form one but the statistic was that that if women were aware of a workplace policy supporting breastfeeding, they were significantly had significantly higher rates of breastfeeding amongst those women. So I think one of the statistics was where mothers knew there was a breastfeeding policy, 61% exclusively breastfed at six months, but where they didn't have a policy, it was down to 34%. Um, so, you know, knowing that your breast your workplace is supportive of your breastfeeding can help women to continue breastfeeding, you know. So it's important that that there are policies in place and things like, you know, just the policy would be that they're entitled to lactation breaks. Um, a, a baby, a, a woman with a younger baby would need more lactation breaks than a woman with an older baby. So it's not something that's forever. A woman with, let's say, a, a normal eight-hour working day and for a four- to six-month-old baby would possibly need at least two lactation breaks, I would think probably around half an hour would be, you know, some women can pump the milk out quicker. Some, some can do it <laughs> a bit slower. We, um, I just have to probably about because... 20, 20, 30 minutes. Um, some people book meeting rooms for those. Sometimes people swap an office with, you know, a colleague that has a closable door. I know my editor that I was talking about before, she, they actually did install frosting across her whole glass window. Um, I know you mentioned that the frosting wasn't good, but they yeah. just got some, and frosting doesn't even cost that much, you know. So they yeah. frosted her whole office window thing so she could, she could pump in there privately. So things like that would be a good things to know and even just a place. So they actually find a place that's nominated that that person can actually 
sit in and not going to be sort of bursting yeah. on while they're pumping. Yeah, no, that's that's great advice. That's great advice. Um, and I would have really loved that when I was breastfeeding. Yeah, well, um, I do know I do know a lot of people yeah. that breastfed in the car or breast, you know, and, and certainly we don't want anyone breastfeeding in toilets. It's not hygienic. No, not at all. Not at all. I wanted to talk a bit about, you know, Australia is a very different legislative environment to the rest of the region. Um, so I, I had a bit of a Google search before we got on and mm. really the only laws that are existing in the countries in Asia that relate to breastfeeding are laws about how breastfeeding substitutes can be advertised or promoted. So it's laws about, you know, stopping some of that so that, that breastfeeding can be promoted. I wondered if you might talk a little bit though about the legislation around discrimination that exists in Australia because I think we're starting to see some of the countries in Asia bring in more uh, policies and legislation to support women generally. So uh, Singapore has just completed a white paper which um, some things will start to come into law which support women around flexible work for example which helps with breastfeeding. So you know, Asia will start to move in this direction, but I think it'd be useful to understand. So, what what exists in Australia oh, now? Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's basically under the Federal Sex Discrimination Act, um, and yeah, it's it's illegal to discriminate against a woman on the basis that she's breastfeeding. Um, breastfeeding is now specifically mentioned. It used to just be about mm-hmm. families, you know, and being um, supportive of families. Now they actually do specifically mention breastfeeding. Um, so I guess the employers must make what they call reasonable attempts to meet uh, a woman's needs if she wants to breastfeed or mm-hmm. express or store their milk at work. You know, you would even believe that you get employers that are all irky about a woman putting the milk in the fridge and things like that. So you know, and that's a pretty normal standard request that they can, you know, store their milk in the in the the fridge. You know, and they'll probably have a little little um, zip up bag or whatever that they can put in there. Um, so yeah, there's, there's the law, I guess, is on their side in that in that way. Um, when I was on the helpline, uh, the breastfeeding helpline, I have had quite a few calls over the years. Not, not a popular, you know, not a common call, but calls over the years from women who have been discriminated against at work because they're breastfeeding. I had a a woman who worked in aged care who was doing 12-hour overnight shifts and she was told that she wasn't allowed to express at work because the um, other workers were uncomfortable with her doing that. Now, she didn't do it in front of them, um, (laughs) uh, but they were uncomfortable and they said that she, she can't express at work. And so... She basically said that she just kept, you know, she was getting very full. She did end up with mastitis um, and because she wasn't, you know, expressing. And she also, um, what was the other thing she told me? She um, she just would sneak off to try and find places like little rooms that she could just sneakily pump in, which is so awful. Yeah. Um, and in the end, she was calling because she she ended up quitting that job, um, and because of it. And then she sort of started to really make feel bad that that had happened to her, and wondered if other women were going through the same thing. So she decided to sue them, um, and that's why she wanted some information from the Breastfeeding Association in support of that. And you know, I gave her a lot of information actually because there's a lot around. Um, yeah. And there was another one that was a school teacher 
and she was asking whether she could express at recess and lunchtime because um, they were the only really breaks she got to be able to do expressing and the principal had told her that she couldn't do that because she had to do yard duty. So it was sort of about, um, you know, with that one, it's about excusing her from, you know, from maybe only three months or something from not doing yard duty yeah. um, and that that's, you know, something that was just reasonable for for her to miss out on for a, a little while to be able to, you know, um, provide breast milk for her baby. Yeah. Um, Kit has put a comment in the chat and everyone's welcome to do that and you're welcome to come off mute and ask questions as well. Um, Kit said, good points. I heard of stories where there were colleagues who were complaining that their milk was stored in the common fridge and they were uncomfortable with it. Like, yeah. And I think um, a lot of the legislation that in Australia is is about reasonableness and, you know, making that judgment about what is reasonable. Is it reasonable to let someone, you know, express during their breaks for just a couple of months? Probably. Um, I think the other thing that comes in is that, you know, multinational organisations like many of the people on the call are working with are trying to attract more women and we're trying to retain more women. And this is one of the ways you can do that by having mm. inclusive policies that, that set out some of the standards for, for this kind of work. So I wanted to ask you, Simone, you know, I think when women go on maternity leave, there's often barriers to get them back into the work force. And usually big organisations want to get, we, any organisation wants to get them back. They want to retain the talent. Sure. Is, is breastfeeding one of those barriers? Is it like too hard yeah, for some women so. to come back? If you do see those statistics that obviously women aren't coming back if they're still breastfeeding is probably what that earlier statistic was telling us. Um, so they're thinking that they can't come back because they are breastfeeding. So then they they just, you know, stay home longer or whatever. Mm. Um, but what we have found that is when employers support their workers to breastfeed, the benefits for them includes the increased staff retention, the reduced costs, um, they say improved staff satisfaction, and morale, you know, if you're helping someone to, you know, with, with something like that, you go, oh, great, I'm so happy that my work's flexible. Uh, there, And, you know, mothers um, of children are very loyal employees. In fact, they stay in those, those jobs for a long time and if they're supported, they can do that. Uh, there also are some studies that show reduced sick leave and absenteeism when women um, are encouraged to continue breastfeeding and that's from the point of view as the babies are less sick so if um, a baby is exclusive you know is still breastfed um, they're healthier and we know that science science is showing us that um, and that actually does help um, the productivity of the returning mother I love that stat <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention also is if you're wanting to look at some resources for companies of policies and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, actually someone's just put a question about that right yeah. now. Saying it. <laughs> yeah. To have a look at the Breastfeeding Friendly Workplace, I'll find that. Australian Breastfeeding Association has a little branch off website um, called Breastfeeding Friendly Workplaces. Um, and so they've got, they've signed up multinational companies all over Australia to be accredited by the Australian Breastfeeding Association. And so then they actually help them create policies um, around breastfeeding inclusiveness you know, and things like, um, you know, how do, how do we set aside a space? What do we need to put in the space for women to express or breastfeed at work? You know, what sort of 
um, breaks do we need to, you know, help women to have? You know, do they need more than one break? Do they need two? Do they need four? Um, does it depend on the age of the baby? Um, so I guess you could have as much detail or as little detail as possible, but that website has lots of really, really good um, information for the companies, um, you know, especially the ones that are being accredited. Um, but, you know, even if you're not going to be accredited, you can still use the information to get your company sort of to be inclusive of, of breastfeeding women. That was a good question. <laughs> I've put one of the links. Links? in Yeah, the links um, for the, the breastfeeding friendly workplace and you can um, click on some of the accredited workplaces and, and find the resources there. Um, I've, it's not really a question, but I've got something that I guess I two stories I've been told when speaking to clients. And I guess, especially in places like Singapore, you forget how valuable space is in the office. And yeah. <laughs> one client had got a breastfeeding room, but it was also um, doubled up as a prayer room. So you can imagine what was happening. So men were going in, Muslim men were going in to uh, pray, especially on Fridays. And there was obviously a woman in there breastfeeding. <laughs> and I think they just, they hadn't been thought through. And there wasn't, there weren't enough women in the business to kind of push back and say, oh, this isn't really a good idea. Another time uh, a printer room was being used. Um, and again, it was like, well, you, you've got a woman sitting next to potentially toxic fumes when she's either breastfeeding a child or expressing. I, I think we kind of forget about those sort of things. It's mm. even when there's a great intent there. They don't always get it right. Well, actually, yeah. if you look at the workplace accreditation, a prayer room and first aid rooms are mentioned as good places for <laughs> um, women t- to use. But um, I-, I guess if they have a lot of breastfeeding women wanting to use that room and a lot of um, people wanting to use it as a prayer room, I guess what they have to do is work out a system where they, they're almost like booking the room or having it at certain times. Um, you know, usually when women know they have to express, they sort of have certain times that, you know, and literally it would be taken up for a short amount of time um, during the day. So, yeah. maybe, you know, they have, book- I know that people certainly do things like booking systems for, for certain rooms if they almost like booking a meeting room just for, for breastfeeding. I know you mentioned earlier that when you, I think it was your youngest child, you worked at home for I think it was him, but a good portion of while you were breastfeeding him. Um, and so flexible work policies can be really useful. Yeah, that uh, is mentioned in the um, Workplace Friendly Accreditation website um, about flexible work arrangements. And I guess that's going to sort of vary from person to person. And they just use that word flexible. I guess that could be in the policy, um, you know, if you're making, creating a policy um, and I guess that means negotiating with the woman and asking what they want. Um, you know, if their baby's older, they might only need to pump once at work um, or they might have a child that's not taking a bottle and is being brought to them and they just need a little 15-minute break, you know. And then other women might have a younger baby. They might need, they might say, look, for the first two months, I need three 20-minute um, breaks or something. Um, yeah, or I, I guess- need to be at home. <laughs> Yeah, or I need to work remotely. Home. Yeah, yeah, I need to, um, you know, only have um, this many meetings a day or, you know, I guess it's that's all very dependent on the type of work it is, if it's in an office, if it's, you know, all those sorts of things. But flexible is a good word to use in those policies, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris, did you have a question? I saw you put your, put your thumb up before. <laughs> Just wanted to check in with you. 
No, I just um, no, no, no question from my side. <laughs> no questions. No problem at all. Um, does anyone else have any questions? What made what made you come along to the webinar? What were you interested in? Does anyone want to talk about that? I, actually, on second thought, uh, I have one question. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> so um, I think uh, uh, at least uh, in my organizations, uh, we have like nursing room, uh, and we do offer a great flexibility to everyone. You know, whether they want to work in the office or they want to work at home. Um, yeah. It's just that I think uh, the challenge is um, how do we best communicate to the women uh, in our workplace that it's okay to, you know, breastfeed in the office, right? So because I think um, culturally in Singapore, I think it's still not so common. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> so I think, we, we, you know, that the challenge is that, you know, how, how, how best we can communicate to them and say that it's okay to, to come to the office and breastfeed. Yeah, look, um, in Australia, they do have um, another program called um, the Breastfeeding Welcome Here program. Um, and so we actually do get organisations that um, register as Breastfeeding Welcome Here venues. Now, some of those places are like cafes and restaurants, but they also are, and we've actually got quite a number of um, government um, you know, government um, offices that have actually registered as Breastfeeding Welcome Here venues. Um, and they actually come with a little sticker and it says breastfeeding welcome here. And they just like, I know it, I've, I've got a lot of those stickers and even at the hospital where I work, I've actually gone around and found, um, you know, places like little couches off on the side and things like that, where people might actually want to sit and breastfeed a baby. I mean, admittedly it's a maternity hospital. And so there's lots of women, <laughs> um, but you know, sometimes they're just coming back for an appointment or they're not necessarily an inpatient. Um, and there's little sort of lounge areas here and there. I always make sure there's stickers everywhere that say breastfeeding welcome here. Um, so that's always sort of a nice little sign that you could just, you know, put in um, certain areas um, and I guess having the policy in general and people are aware, aware that there is a policy you could even have in the policy that breastfeeding is encouraged and welcome in this, you know, whether it's direct breastfeeding or expressing um, is, is, is welcome in this organisation. Thanks for thanks for sharing. I I really love the the the, the sticker idea. I think it's not, it's it's easy to implement as well. So, so thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, it is and, um, easy. Yeah, and I think that um, if women see other women have done that, it encourages them as well. Yeah, I wondered um, when you were talking earlier, Simone, about when you were still working as a journalist and your editor, you know, worked full time and was breastfeeding. And I wondered, you know, what impact that had on the other women in in them knowing that, yeah, it is okay to do this here and, and it's fine. Um, yeah, well, I think that's probably why I saw about th- three or four different little bags of <laughs> milk different, all labelled in the fridge. So I guess other people were doing that as well, which was really nice. Um, yeah. And, you know, it just became a norm in our office and a bit of a joke, you know, make sure you don't drink that milk, blah, blah. But, um, you know, that that was a harmless joke and it was just a bit silly um, and everyone yeah. saw that it was labelled. And you don't, I saw that comment about someone was uncomfortable with milk, you know, when you think about it, cow's milk's pumped from the, from the breast <laughs> of a cow, uh, you know, and then we drink it. So we see that all the time. So it's, it's funny how human milk can have this sort of irk factor for some people when really it's actually it probably, you know, it's our own no. milk. It's not another species of milk. Yeah. 
I, I do get what Chris is talking about, though. Um, when uh, my second baby was four months old and he wouldn't take a bottle and I ended up taking him on a trip to China so I could breastfeed him the whole time. And um, it was not okay to breastfeed in China in public. <laughs> it was really not. I learned that the hard way, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, um, I've had a few stories as well from women who've visited other countries Um um, some mm-hmm. of them, you know, if you go to a Scandinavian country, man, you know, you, you, everyone's breastfeeding all over the place and, um, yeah. even, you know, some European countries are pretty okay as well. Um, if you actually look at the level of um, maternity leave in countries, it usually gives you an idea of how supportive of breastfeeding they are because the yeah. better the maternity leave, the, <laughs> the more supportive they seem to be um, in, the, in those countries. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it is like a... a modesty thing as well um yeah so sometimes they are more encouraging of women to cover up and all that sort of thing um or they might sort of say oh we've got this really nice space right at the back around the corner here you know Um, so you know sometimes it is a little bit different depending where you are whereas in Australia that women are protected and they actually cannot be told to cover up um while they're breastfeeding either so if someone is breastfeeding in a cafe Mm. or something like that and um I do have a story of a local cafe where a woman um, was breastfeeding um one of the patrons came up to the and complained that the woman was breastfeeding right near him um and she poured his coffee into a takeaway chocolate and told him to leave (laughs) brilliant she said, yeah, you're not welcome here. <laughs> so, yeah, they can so stay. That, yeah. And she actually was one of the people who had um, joined the Breastfeeding Welcome Here well, uh, program and had a sticker on her. Um, you know, so women were specifically seeking that cafe out. Yeah, brilliant. So I just wanted to finish by thanking you all for coming. Um, I hope it was helpful in supporting what you're doing in your organisations, but also during World Breastfeeding Week, which is um, something um, I thought was really important to support and promote. The the Culture Ministry, which is my business, um, we've recently done a diversity and inclusion salary survey across the APAC region. I've just popped the link in um, the chat. If you haven't grabbed a copy of that yet, you are welcome to download it there. Oh, who have we got? Oh, Chris. Interesting data, 46% of working mothers decided not to breastfeed because they need to return to work in Singapore. Yeah, that stat um, support is in line with a lot of um, other pieces of research around the world about the the longer you have parental leave, the more chance um, you you can breastfeed your baby longer and you get better health outcomes for your baby as well. Did you want to talk to that, Simone? Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, it's a little bit of a sad statistic there because the, the babies are the ones that are missing out um, on the health outcomes, mm. you know. So those children, because the women had to return to work, means that their health outcomes for the rest of their life are, are lowered. Um, we also see higher incidences of childhood obesity um, and um higher incidences of um, allergies, asthma, um, all those sorts of things when babies are not breastfed. So, you know, that's a little bit sad for the babies that they, their mums have to return to work and it means that they're, they're missing out on something that they may have had if they hadn't returned. Also, you know, it's, it's sometimes worth having conversation with women about um, 
mixed feeding um, and that they don't, it's not all or nothing uh, and that they don't have to quit breastfeeding altogether to be able to continue breastfeeding and working. Uh, some women do combine formula feeding and breastfeeding, especially once breastfeeding has been well established um, and they might give baby you know, formula, for instance, during the day, and they might breastfeed in the mornings and the evenings when they pick up them up from work and over the weekends and things like that. Um, and that baby still then receives breast milk for much longer. Thanks for that, Chris. Um, that was some great research out of Singapore. Well, it's been so lovely having you all on. Um, it's great to see you all. I feel like you're becoming all my friends. <laughs> and thank you so much, Simone. Um, You've got such a wealth of knowledge on breastfeeding and supporting women. Um, it's been an absolute delight having you on. Oh, thank you. I can talk about boobs all day, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> I so, know you can. Keep going, yeah. Right. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, stay on if you have any other questions. Otherwise, thank you so much. Thank you. such an interesting and helpful discussion. Here are the tips from Simone to help organisations be inclusive for breastfeeding. Have a breastfeeding policy that includes and outlines lactation breaks and nominates a breastfeeding or expressing or pumping place in the workplace. Breastfeeding women are likely to have less sick leave and absenteeism because breastfed babies have better immunity. Breastfeeding is for a relatively short period and women who feel supported during this time are likely to be more loyal to their workplace. See the links in the show notes for the resources discussed in this episode. At the Culture Ministry, we know how challenging and lonely it can be working in diversity and inclusion, and how progress is often slow. You might be just getting started in diversity and inclusion, or you might be on your way the Culture Ministry is here to help you with your diversity and inclusion progress. Go to www.theculture-ministry.com to learn more. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe learnt something, please share with your friends on social media, give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and leave a comment. This makes it easier for others to find a dog called Diversity. Diversity.